Welcome to the Turnstile Moment, a podcast about the moments in life when everything changes. Every episode of the Turnstile Moment brings you the story of someone whose life changed in an instant. You can subscribe on Apple Music or your favorite podcatcher. Here's the next story. I am Jenny Dietrich, and my moment is when we adopted a little girl out of foster care. I started a PR firm almost 13 years ago, and it was very much, you know, I'm a type A personality, super competitive, highly motivated, lots of self-discipline, and it was very much like, we're going to do this thing, and we're going to change the way that PR is done from an agency perspective, and we're going to grow this thing, and we're going to have lots of people and lots of clients and do really good work. And part of the reason that I was able to be afforded all of that opportunity is because I, I don't have kids or didn't have kids. And you know, I, the economy crashed, and so I had very quickly had to figure out how I was going to make payroll. And so we went from a very traditional PR firm to one that um, had a, a very, started to become a very popular blog, Spin Sucks. And through that, I was uh, afforded the opportunity to co-author a book, Marketing in the Round. And the year that Marketing in the Round came out was published was 2012, and I did 56 speaking engagements in a year, which, again, was able to do that because I didn't have kids. And then that, on the success of that book, came the contract for the book that I wanted to author myself, which was Spin Sucks. And I spent all of 2013 writing the book and getting it ready for publication. And in the meantime, you know, my husband and I had gone through this whole period of, you know, trying to figure out family and having kids and all those kinds of things. And I mean, I'll be honest, I'm not the type of woman who's um, clock ticks. And, you know, if, if it wasn't in the cards for me, I was fine with that. I didn't want to go through in vitro and, you know, try all that stuff. Like I was like, okay, well, it's just not in the cards for us and that's fine. I have other things I want to do with my life. And, that was not the case for my husband. His clock was definitely ticking. And he's also very, 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 very liberal. And he said to me, why, do, why don't we foster kids? And I was like, what? So I was like, okay, to appease you, I'll go through these classes. And so every Saturday, which, by the way, is during the summertime, and I live in Chicago, and we only have like three months of nice weather outside. And it was during the nicest part of the year. And we were stuck in this classroom for eight hours every Saturday for three months. And on the very first day, they give you a manual. And it teaches you not how to be a parent or how to be a foster parent. It teaches you how to deal with the bureaucracy of the system. And because Kelly and I are both type A personalities, we read the manual and we were ready for our class. Well, as it turns out, during the class, they read the manual to us. So it was the greatest, best kind of training. And Kelly and I sat in the back of the room with our computers, and he was on Reddit all the, the, every Saturday, and I was on Facebook or doing online shopping because we had already read the manual and we already knew what it was. And then when it came our turn to read out loud, then we would read our portion and then it would go back around the room. It was a fascinating experience. And then they say, okay, you've done that. And then they do your, your background checks and your fingerprints and all that and make sure, you know, you're, you're not mass murderers. And then they license you. And so we got our license in August of 2013. And then you just wait. 
And we weren't picky. We were like, you know, we don't care race. We don't care sex. We don't like, we just want to help kids and, and perhaps build our family that way. It is not an easy process by any stretch of the imagination. And I remember that we got a call on the 20th of December of 2013 and they had a baby that had come into the system and needed a home, but we were already on a flight to Salt Lake City to ski. And that sounds very selfish, but we were literally all on our way there. And so we had to turn down the opportunity. And, you know, so then you just wait and you wait and you wait and you wait and you're kind of like, is this ever going to happen? Is this ever going to happen? And in January of 2014, we got a phone call and it was like one o'clock in the afternoon. And they said, we have a baby girl. She's seven months old. Um, you know, her biological mother is in the picture, but she's been in and out of foster care herself and she's 16. And really, honestly, we don't think that this baby will ever go back to her. And we were both kind of like, okay. And at five o'clock that afternoon, the social worker walked into our house with a seven month old baby in a, a car seat, wearing the pajama, wearing a pair of pajamas with one glass bottle, half a can of formula, three diapers, and a coat. And was like, here you go. And we were like, well, okay, thanks. So we took the course in the summer of 2013, and then she arrived in January of 2014. So it was about eight months of waiting, essentially. So you're in a, you're in a holding pattern for eight months, and then within six hours, this person Yes. So we're in a holding pattern for eight or nine months, which, you know, if you have a baby, it's nine months. Okay. So that's not terrible. Right. But you don't know that there's going to be a baby and you don't know, they tell you not to buy anything because you don't know if it's a boy or a girl. You don't know, you know, if it's a baby, if it's a toddler, if it's a, a child, like you don't know anything, you know, nothing. So they say, don't buy anything because you just don't know. Um, and, you know, there's no shower, there's no preparation, there's no, like, there's nothing. And you get a phone call at one o'clock in the afternoon and at five o'clock this baby shows up with literally like nothing. And you don't have anything because they've told you not to buy anything. And so that poor child, her first two months, she slept in a pack and play that my neighbor loaned us. <laughs> I changed her diaper on the bathroom floor because I didn't have a changing table. Like it was just, you just, we just did it. And at the same time, Spin Sucks was published and I already had an entire year of speaking engagements scheduled. So all this travel and here was this baby that had shown up on our doorstep. That first year it was really hard. It was really, really hard. I, I would not like to do that ever again. Because you don't know if the baby will go back to the biological parents and because you're not the legal guardians, the state is the legal guardian, you're not allowed to post pictures or talk about it. Like social media cannot exist for the, this child or children. If you have multiples, it cannot exist. Like you can't, you can't talk about it. And I remember, you know, she'd been with us about eight months and we were on a family vacation in Florida we had all these pictures taken, you know, just of like the beach and the pool and all that kind of stuff. And my, my in-laws were posting the pictures and I was like, you guys, you can't post these because she's in the pictures. And it was like this rapid recall of, of photos and things because we couldn't, you couldn't post anything. And so I had these parallel lives where, you know, 
I was, I was on the road speaking and I was freaking exhausted because I was on the road speaking and, and doing all the marketing and, and promotion for spin sucks the book. And at the same time, also a brand new, literally a brand new mother who had zero preparation and was trying to figure out like how, how to manage a baby and, you know, work-life balance and all that kind of stuff, um, sort of by surprise. But at the same time, I couldn't talk about her. So I remember a client saying to me, is everything okay? You're kind of off your game. And I was like, yeah, everything's fine. I might be dying, but everything's fine. Um, and it was kind of a wake up call for me too, because you can't, I couldn't say to him, well, actually we, you know, we had this baby show up on our doorstep three weeks ago and <laughs> it's kind of killing me. Um, just from a, you know, trying to balance it all situation. And, you know, we didn't, we don't have family in town, so it wasn't like we could call on family and we had to find a nanny and then we had to find daycare. It was just like this rapid mess of a thing. And people would see us in Chicago, like out and about, and they'd be like, who, what, what is this? You know, cause she'd be in the stroller with us and we'd be like, oh, well, you know, we sort of are trying to adopt this baby and people would be like, what? And so it was this weird thing where, yeah, this was all happening in my real life, but in my other life, because we couldn't talk about her, the, there was this, like nobody knew. And, you know, when I, when we were finally able to talk about it, when she, when it became legal in November of 2016, so two, almost three years later, almost to the date, three years later, um, people were shocked. And, and the other thing, it was really funny because they were like, oh, so you just adopted a, a three-year-old. No, 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 no. <laughs> We've had this baby for three years. We just haven't been able to talk about it. And there's also, it was also really interesting because there was a bit of, you know, some people were really angry. And you have to explain that, like, it's, it was against the law. I couldn't, I couldn't talk about her. Um, I couldn't post pictures. I couldn't tell people. I couldn't, you know. And, like, a handful of people knew. Um, but you know, there were people who were really angry. And then there were people who were like, well, wait a second, you've been doing all this and you've been a mother on top of it. That's not fair. <laughs> it's okay. Well, all right. Well, I'm sorry. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so it was, an, it was, it was, that first year was pretty interesting. And then, you know, you sort of settle into it and you don't, you kind of forget that people don't know. Um, but that, yeah, the first year was, it, and because I spend so much time online and I do have a, a, you know, a fairly large following on Twitter and on Facebook and you, and you have this whole life that you can't talk about. It was, it was challenging for sure. And the funny thing now is I noticed that I, I still don't talk about her because I think I got in such a big habit of not that it's, it just doesn't occur to me to share stuff about her. And when I do, I don't call her by her name. I didn't get to the point yet. Well, I guess I, sh I, I got to the point where I felt like I was in over my head and I wasn't sure why we were doing this. And it wasn't so much the parenting piece of it as it was the bureaucracy and the heartache and the not knowing because we went almost three years with not knowing if this little girl was going to get to stay with us permanently. And you can't help but fall in love and you can't help but think of them as your blood and you can't help but want the very best for them. And, you know, she was, she was two and they were teaching the kids um, their last names. 
And I remember saying to the daycare, like, you guys have to teach her her last name's Dietrich. I know that that's not what it legally is right now, but we're really working toward adoption. And at four, we can't teach her that she has a different last name. So we really had to, you know, have, we had to have those kinds of conversations and sort of get daycare and teachers and babysitters on our side so that we weren't confusing this little girl when it finally did become legal. So you think about that kind of stuff. And it, it was very much a, it was overwhelming. I mean, we were in court all the time, all the time. And then you, you, you know, for me, not so much for Kelly, but for me, the biological mother was very much in the picture. And, you know, she wanted to be my best friend. And she, she almost wanted me to mother her as well. And it, not so much for Kelly, just because the biological father isn't in the picture or wasn't in the picture at all. Um, so he didn't have that same experience. But she was very much like texting me and Facebook messaging me and, you know, wanting me to do this and that. And it was, there was a part of me that wanted to help her, but a part of me that, and, and, and also the court system that said, you know, you have to keep her at arm's length. Um, so it was that kind of stuff that really, that was really challenging and really difficult. And of course, memory is short because now I'm like, ah, it wasn't that big of a deal, but it was a, it was a pretty big deal. You know, the, the social workers were so confident that she would never go back. And the more we learned about the biological mother and the more time we spent with her, we became pretty confident in that fact as well. So there was never really any closing of our hearts or trying not to fall in love. But I will tell you this, and this is, this is hard to admit out loud, but my brother is the father of five children. And he said to me, you're going to experience what most men experience. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, you know, when, when a woman carries a baby, they become attached immediately and they talk to the baby and they, you know, rub their stomach. So they're, you know, they're, they're part the ba and the baby is part of them. So they fall in love immediately. And for men, even though you love the baby, you don't fall in love for a while. And he said, you know, with some of my kids, it took up to a year. And I think that that's what it was, was you, we wanted the very best for her. And we, we knew that it was our job to advocate for her and find, you know, do the things for her that were the very best in her best interest. And we loved her, but we didn't fall in love immediately. And part of that, I think, is the whole idea that, you know, she, she was not from my womb, but also because there was a bit of protecting our own hearts, I think, because we weren't sure. We didn't know. And it took three years. Three years it took. <laughs> when you don't have children, you're very selfish. But you don't realize or know that you're selfish. And no fault to, to anybody. You know, I mean, I, we were married for 10 years before, we, before she arrived. Um, and... You know, I'm because I'm the oldest of six, I have 17,000 nieces and nephews. And I would do things where I thought I was being a great aunt or I thought I was being helpful. But now that I have a child, I go, oh, wow, that was really selfish. And then I say to my siblings, I'm so sorry. I had no idea how selfish I was being. And they just look at me with that knowing look of, yeah, we know. We just sort of like rolled our eyes. But like, I didn't know. You don't know. 
And so I think that, that it has changed me. And I've also become significantly more patient and I've become more empathetic to, you know, like I remember five or six years ago, we had January was horrible across the board for the country because the weather was so bad and school was canceled. And it's the, it's the experience we've had this January, but it was several, several years ago. And I remember thinking, I don't understand why people aren't working. Like what's the, and now I get it. So like, you're like, Oh, cause the kids are home. And even though you can't, it's impossible. It's impossible. So I become a lot more empathetic, I think to employees who have children and have these, these challenges cause they are definitely challenges. You go through a phase as a partner to your spouse where you, because women are, are, tend to be more nurturing and, you know, tend to be the caretakers and all those kinds of things, even if they are, you know, business owners or high profile CEOs or executives or whatever happens to be, they, we still tend to be the nurturer and men are not. And so I think you go through this phase where you're like, I don't understand why I'm the only one who sees this. Um, and there's a little bit of resentment that you go through. And I think across the board, most couples go through this when a, a baby arrives. Um, and you have to figure out, you know, that next step in your marriage progression of, you know, how do we work through this together? And so it's, you know, from, a, from a, being a partner to my husband perspective, it, it was challenging for sure, um, but it's helped me, you know, look at things from a 360 perspective instead of just my perspective. Um, you know, as a, as a boss, I definitely am more empathetic to people's plights um, and to challenges, you know, to schools being canceled or, you know, things, you know, sick kids or whatever happens to be that you just can't control. Um, but it, you know, it, it's, I'm not a patient person and it's taught me a level of patience that I don't think I would have learned otherwise. And the other thing is, is with toddlers specifically, they want to know why, why everything. Well, why, why? And they'll actually say, why? And you're finally like, because I said so. I mean, it gets to that point. And I think what it's done for me as a, as a business leader is say, wait a second, if I want people to come together and collaborate toward my vision, I have to explain why. And it's not because they're toddlers or because they're stupid, but because they need to understand why we're trying to, to achieve something, not just because I said so. And so it's really helped me think about it from that perspective of, okay, if, if we're going toward this vision and strategically we're going to do X, Y, and Z this year, I need to explain why. And I have to help people understand their role in helping get it, getting us there. Otherwise, you know, it's just doing what I ask and that's not helpful to anyone. And, but it does make you think, okay, hang on a second. People want to know why they're part of something and you can't just expect them to know. You know, one of the things I think has really opened up for me is, this is going to sound funny, but creativity. And I, I told you that 
I, I, my clock never ticked. I was totally fine with, you know, being in a great marriage and building a great business. And, and I was, I was fulfilled in that. And what I didn't know is that I was missing a big creativity piece of me. You know, my mom is extraordinarily creative and my sister is as well. And, and sometimes I look at the two of them and I'm like, what, what? how? And having this small child around who wants to cook with me and who wants to do activities and who loves crafts and, you know, wants to do all these things. It's opened up this whole pathway for me as a creative outlet. And I've noticed that because I'm doing those things with her, it's making me better at my job because I'm much more creative and open-minded and innovative through that. Um, and the other thing I've done is, you know, I'm an, an introvert by nature, and if I could sit behind my computer screen and control my little world and grow my business from right here, I would. By far, I would never. I would just like do that. And she forces me to get out in the world. And I, you know, I mean, granted, I did write two books, and I was forced to do it through that. But I don't have a, a book forcing me to do that right now. And and she sort of, because she's paying such close attention to who I am and what I do and she mimics what I do it forces me out of my shell which you know that comes to play in I, I mean I'll be honest if if I have to spend a Saturday at somebody's house doing a play date I'd rather shoot myself in the head seriously like I have other things I want to do but it forces me to sort of come out out of my shell and say okay well, maybe we're not going to go sit at so-and-so's house and have a play date, but we could go on a bike ride with your friend or we could make cookies with your friends or, you know, so it forces me to sort of come out of that shell where I actually leave the house, which if it were up to me, I wouldn't leave the house ever. Um, <clears throat> seriously, it's bad. And the older I get, it, the worse it gets. So it, she's, it, you know, it has opened that up as well. Um, I would say the big one is, is probably creativity and really, she, I mean, she's my little bestie. She is definitely a mini me. And it's, it's funny because people say to me all the time, she looks so much like you and she acts so much like you. And I'm like, I know <laughs> <laughs> all part of my evil plan. <laughs> if I could go back to the day before she arrived, I would say to myself, don't stress out so much. It actually will work out. <laughs> my younger me would be like, yeah, right. <laughs> it does work out, but you know, we, we put so much pressure on ourselves and we stress ourselves out so much. And really, I mean, my, my good girlfriend said to me, you don't need to worry about this. They will, she will teach you what you need to know. And I mean, she, they do, they, kids do, they teach you what you need to know. And, you know, I've learned as much just from this experience, as I'm sure this tiny little terror has learned from us. Most important thing she has taught me is to love fully. Talk more <laughs> um, I did not have a great upbringing. Um, <clears throat> My, my dad is, it was not, it was not a great upbringing. We were very, very poor. Um, and we moved a lot. I went to 13 grade schools, 
three junior highs and two high schools. Um, and so I never really learned how to make long-term friends. I was very, very good at making fast friends and, you know, surface level friends because we move so much, but I, I never had to build a relationship over several years. And of course, you know, I, I'm going on 15 years of marriage, so that helps as well. Um, and my husband is grossly patient and any other man would have been like, screw you seven years ago, but he's, he has not. Um, and he, but having this, having the experience of going through the foster care system and working within the confines of the system and figuring out the legal pieces of it granted me a, a different outlook on life. And then, of course, I mean, any parent can to attest to this. You have this child who just thinks you hung the moon. And because of that, everything you do is for the betterment of, of the child or children. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to The Turnstile Moment using your favorite podcatcher. Do you have a turnstile moment you'd like to share? If you do, please drop us a note at turnstilemoment at gmail.com. And if you like this podcast, tell a friend about it in any way that suits you. And please rate us and leave a review on Apple Music.